Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kayla. That was the perfect song for what we're going to talk about this morning. Good morning again. How are you all doing? Good morning to you online. Say hello. Let us know you're there. Share the stream. If you did not get a sermon outline, you need one. And uh, do we have someone? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Everybody's got one that needs one. Wow, you guys are good. That's the first time this happened. You're well trained now. So that's the way that it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, we're on the downhill side of Transformed. Two more weeks this week and next week are the last two sermons. And uh, this is where it kind of gets, you know, 50 days of Transformed. You get towards the end. And, and this is really where the rubber hits the road. And, and, you know, where it starts to get tougher because we've been setting goals and talking about the things that we want to do. And you get to this point and, and a lot of people are thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to do it. But you will with the power of Christ in your life. He wants you to be transformed. Today, guests, if you're, if you're with us, Transformed is a 50-day um, campaign that we've been doing. And each week, each sermon is a standalone sermon, but they fit with the study guide. So if you've got your study guide, you can fill out your notes, but I would recommend that you use the, uh, the guide that I've given you. So this week, we're going to look at a very, what's the right word, delicate subject matter. We're going to talk about money. We sing about it. There's songs, Pink Floyd, money, the Beatles sang about it. We, we talk about it. Money, make movies about it. We worry about it. Relationships are torn apart because of it. People die over it. Money is a big deal. Lives are changed by money. How we use our money is a bigger deal, which is probably why Jesus talked about it so much. You know, in, in preparing for this, did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about faith and prayer combined? Of, of all of his parables, he, there are 40 parables, more than a quarter of them focus on possessions and money. I, I didn't realize it, it was really that amount. And yet, for most people, I think how they use their money from a spiritual perspective is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in their spiritual walk. In fact, I, I don't doubt. I mean, we're all doing the book, right? Most of us are doing the book. And I'm sure a lot of people, you look at next week and you know that this week is going to be about finances and money. And I notice our attendance is down this morning. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll guarantee you there are people who looked ahead and thought, ain't going to that one. And any time the pastor starts to talk about money, people start to feel uneasy. It's a difficult one. I even shared with my small group this week. I said, oh, I'm going to talk about money on Sunday. I hate talking about money. And yet at the same time, I kind of, I like talking about money because I know of the difference getting your life in line with God's will for your finances, how much difference it makes in your, in your life. Have you ever done a spiritual timeline? Here, I, I did one. Oh, just in case you didn't know, art was not my forte at school. So do I have a laser on this thing? I'm sure I must have. Yeah, there. Ah, look at that. So this is a spiritual timeline. Now, you'll notice over here of my life, if you can read that, I put better. 
I didn't want to put percentages. Just getting better, okay, going up. So starting off at age zero and to here, you know, the first part of my life, there was, didn't really know God, but in school in England, you automatically do assembly, you sing songs, you have religious instruction. And I actually won a prize in the primary school. I was top of my class for religious instruction, even though God wasn't part of my life. (laughs) It was just, God was preparing me, I think. And then in my teenage years, my parents got involved with Jehovah's Witnesses for a while. So that tanked and stayed down here for, for a long time. Then we came over to Canada. And in, I can't remember dates, maybe somewhere around 83, 84, I became a believer. Now, I'm not going to get into the story, but I've, I've shared it before. One day I was normal. The next day, the whole God thing began. So there was a big boom. I kind of stayed there for a while as Sandra and I kind of investigated churches and there was some growth going on. And then in 1987, I discovered that being a believer is not enough, that you actually had to, to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In 1987, I did that. And so there was a little upshoot in my faith there. And then we kind of just stayed level for, for quite a while. We moved, we went down to Airdrie near Calgary. And then I couldn't remember when, somewhere maybe 1995, Sandra and I were sitting in a sermon, sitting in a series, and the pastor was talking about money. He was talking about all kinds of things that, that we need to give to God. And at, in that message, on that day, we both decided that we need to be faithful with our finances. And we decided we're going to start tithing. And you can see, when that happened, there was an immediate boom in our faith life. And that's why I don't mind talking about this, because I know the effect that aligning how you think and how you feel about money with with God's will for money changes every area of your spiritual walk. Now, let me just say this. I'm not here this morning. I'm really not going to try. If if this is something that you struggle with, and, and you can see, I mean, I started going to church in about 83, 84. I started tithing 10 years later. That's the way it was. I remember when I used to give $20. If we gave $20, I thought God was jumping up and down. But if this is an area that you struggle with, my, my goal this morning is not to try and guilt you or manipulate, manipulate you into changing your financial habits. I do want to encourage you. You know, we're going through this whole transform thing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and act on what the Holy Spirit does. That's why that last song was just so perfect. Trust and obey. Those things go together. Our core verse for this series really fits for this one. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's never more true than how we think about money. If we're to see transformation in our financial lives, we must change how we think about money. So that's the title of today's message, Transforming How I See and Use Money. As I said, Jesus talked about this all the time. So we're going to go to a passage of Scripture. Now, the passage of Scripture I'm using is a very difficult one. And uh, 
you'll see as we get through it, it's one of my favorites because I like the ones that make you think. You know, it's kind of like, what is that all about, God? I like those. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16. It's on your outline in very tiny writing. You can see it on the screen. And if you're online, you can uh, download it from the messenger or whatever that part's called where you chat. As you can tell, I don't know much about Facebook. Now, let me preface this. This is one of the oddest of all of Jesus' parables. A lot of people have a lot of questions about this parable. What does it mean? They don't really get it. So hopefully you'll get some clarity today. Um, Because most people read it and they come away with more questions than they have answers. And that's kind of why I like it. So this is in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll dive in. So Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of the master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. This is where people get confused with it. Now, something you just need to know about this little background information. Every person in this parable, some people think that the master is representative of God. Everybody in this parable is a bad person. All of them, okay? Just get that in your head. We're not going to dive into it that deep, but just get that in your head. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I told you it was a weird one. There's a lot of stuff in there. Now, get your outline, get it fired up, because we're going to dive into this. First off, four things of what not to do with money. Okay, so sometimes when you want to figure out what you need to do, first thing you need to do is get the, well, what, what I shouldn't do. So four things that you should not do with money. First one that we learn from this passage, what not to do with your money, don't waste it. Don't waste it. First one says there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Don't be frivolous with your money. If you've got money to spare, and I don't know many people that do, but some people have money to spare, and you might be thinking, I can waste my money if I want to. Can I do what I want to do with my money? If I want to waste my money, that's fine. 
I've got lots. That is irresponsible. If you've got lots of money and you don't know what to do with your money, then give it to someone who needs it. Don't waste it. Don't spend it frivolously. What does it mean to to waste money? Well, if I choose to take my wife out for a night on the town, eat at a fancy restaurant, go dancing in the moonlight, is that a waste of money? I'm glad you said that. Maybe, maybe not, right? If, if I've taken money that I should have used elsewhere to go and do that, then that's frivolous. That's wasting that money. But if, if I've made sure that everything that I need to do with my money, if I've honored God first with my money, absolutely no reason why I shouldn't take my wife out and wine and dine her, right? Or she'd take me out and wine and dine me. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to go through these really quick. Number two, don't love it. All the way down to the last verse in the passage. Excuse me a moment. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes a real point here. You know, he's using money of everything that he could use. When it comes to either loving God or not loving God, he talks about money. Money is a means to an end. It's not the end. It's a means to an end. The Beatles had a song, right? Can't buy me love. It might buy you somebody who loves you for your money, but it's not going to buy you love. And the the Beatles were so conflicted because they had that one song, Can't Buy Me Love. And then they had another song, All I Want Is Money. Give me money. Money can't buy you happiness. It can purchase some things that might furnish some happiness. But happiness is something that comes from down inside of you. It's not the money that makes you happy. You can have all the stuff in the world and not be happy and not experience love. Number three, don't trust it. Some people trust their, their wealth. They trust their, their stuff. It's, it's going to, man, it's going to get me through. Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't trust it for your security. It doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can lose it. Verse 3 says, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. This manager had put his trust in money. He was deceiving, taking money from people. But now he's in a position where his money is going to be taken away from him. And money can be fleeting. We've all seen the stock markets go up and down, haven't we? I mean, in the last 20 years, I remember my father-in-law. He's not hurting for money, but he had a big stash of, of money set aside for his pension and, and everything was good. And when the stock market crashed, he lost so much of it. Now, my old boss up in Canada, Ken Kripke, sometimes they watch. I remember every Friday, Ken was on the phone because uh, he had invested in a farm. And I can't remember what they were growing. No, it wasn't wheat. It was something weird. And every Friday, he would call to get the price. What's it selling for? If it was good, he was happy. And if it was bad, he was just downright miserable. I used to love it every Friday because I'd just G him up on that. Hey, how's the price this week, man? Oh, no, going down again. You're going to lose everything. I got fired. I I didn't get fired. (laughs) So you think, okay, I'll stuff it. Stuff it in a in a pillow and put it under my bed. I won't do the stock market thing. I'll just keep it safe. If the banks go under, if everything goes, I got it there. And then your house burns down. 
Or somebody comes in and robs you. I mean, it's fleeting. Proverbs 23.5 says, Your money can be gone in a flash, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Now, I got myself a big dollar bill here. And one thing I like that the, that the Uncle Sam has done for all of us, on every dollar bill, no matter what denomination, there's an eagle to remind you that it's going to fly away. It's not going to be that yours for that long. It can just float away no matter how much you want to hang on to it. Thank you, Uncle Sam, for the reminder. Now, Sandra and I, we diversify our money. Some of it goes to Walmart. Some of it goes to Target. Some of it goes to Kroger. Most of it right now is at Amazon. <laughs> we spread it around. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. This is where people fall down. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And in verse 5, it says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Luke 12, 5. How much money is enough? John D. Rockefeller was supposedly asked this question. At the time that he asked the question, his wealth was equivalent to 1% of the wealth of the United States. So if you bought that to today's standard, it was $220 billion. And when the reporter asked him, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If you love money, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you want more money. You want more stuff. What not to do with money? Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't trust it. Don't expect it to satisfy. Now, when it comes down to how we view and use money, I've got six things on your outline here that we need to remember every day. Okay, six things about money that we remember every day. If you keep these things in mind, you will view money properly. You will spend your money appropriately. So number one, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Everything that you have, everything that you own, you don't own. You might think you own, but you don't own anything. And you only have it because God entrusted it to you. In this parable, the central character was the manager of the owner's money. He doesn't even have a name. He's just called the manager all the way through. The manager or the man. It wasn't his property. It was the owner's property. And his job was to manage it. Everything you own, everything I own, anything that anybody owns belongs to God. He's the owner. We are the managers. He has entrusted us with it. And how we manage matters. God entrusts us with money. And that brings us to number two. God is using money to test me. It's like, ooh, I don't like that one. Anyone like taking tests? No one? No one? Some people do. I was lucky. I was one of those kind of people that mostly I struggled at school, but I could kind of bring my game up for a test. I could remember what I needed to remember, fortunately. Why would God use money to test us? Because he loves us and he wants to bless us. I remember when my kids were younger and we first began giving them an allowance. Part of the reason that we gave them an allowance was to teach them 
how to use money. And it was so interesting to me how each one of them would use money differently and view money differently. My son, James, money burned a hole in that boy's pocket. Uh, As soon as the dollar bill or whatever it was, whatever his allowance was in his hand, it was gone within minutes. He just couldn't wait. He couldn't save for anything. There were lots of things that he wanted. He could never save for anything. Got to spend it right away. My daughter, Amy, she is and was very generous. Give her money away. You need money? I got money. She just wanted to give people her money. And then my daughter, Rachel, she was very careful with her money. She knew what she had. She saved well. And she's still that way. She she was very organized with her money. And it always struck me as weird because all three of these kids are raised in the same household. We gave them all an allowance. And when we gave them the allowance, we told them how to use the money. You need to give to God first. You need to put some in the bank. And then what's left is, is for you to spend. But all three of them acted differently. But God uses money to test us. He tests us to show us what needs to be worked on. I love the... Psalm 139, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. He's got a yearning. He's invited God, look into my life. Tell me what I'm not doing right. Tell me where I'm going wrong, God. Especially in this area of money, show me what needs to change. Now, when God tests us, it's just like when God asks a question. It's not because he doesn't know the answer or what we're going to do or what we're going to say. He's bringing something to our attention. He's trying to bring it to the forefront for us. So, oh, okay, I need to work on this area of my life. He tests us because he wants to bring it to your attention. I want to bless you. But we need to work on this area of your life. I don't want my blessing to cause you to stumble. When you can use the blessing properly, I'll give you the blessing. But God doesn't want to be the source of our stumbling. He's not going to give something to his children that ultimately harms us, and he's not going to spoil us. Now, why would God use money as a testing tool? If you really want to get to grips with the heart of transformation, money is about the best measuring tool. When it comes to our faith, money is where the rubber hits the road. So let me give you three reasons why, right in your thing there. Number one, it shows what I love most. It shows what I love most. They say, if you want to know what drives a person, take a look at the way they spend their money. That'll tell you what's important to them. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, don't store up treasure here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that is absolutely true. It might not be big ticket items, but where do you go? What well do you go to often? If somebody was looking at your bank book, man, you you seem to go this place all the time. You seem to be doing this all the time. Where you spend your money, that's where your heart is. If you like fishing, you might have two... What do you call those things? Rods. I can say rod. I couldn't remember if it was because some people say pole, right? Fishing rods. That's normal English, isn't it? If you like fishing, you might have two or three fishing rods. If you love fishing, you might have six or seven or eight. 
and a park pass. If you really love fishing, you're going to have a whole bunch of rods. You might have a boat. And here's the thing. If you really love fishing, your significant other doesn't know how much you spend on it. It's true, isn't it? If you love golf, you might have the best putter. You've probably got three or four putters. Five or six. If you really love golf, you've probably got a membership somewhere. If you really, really love golf, you've probably got your own cart. If you really love golf, your significant other doesn't know how much you spend on it. Because it's where your heart is. Jesus knows what makes us tick. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Number two, it shows what I trust. It shows what I have faith in. Am I trusting in my money for security or am I trusting in God for security? Am I trusting in my money for happiness or am I trusting in God for happiness? Am I trusting in my money to make me feel good about who I am, how I look, or am I trusting in God for those things? It shows what I trust the most. It's the acid test of faith. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust in your money and down you go. I love the practicality of the Bible. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. If I put God first in my finances, if I give him the first fruits, then I'm demonstrating trust in God. But if God's on the bottom of the list, you know, I I need to pay this, I need to pay that, I need to pay this, I need to pay that. Oh, and I need a new putter and a fishing pole or rod. If there's a little bit left, you know what? That can go to God. But all of these other things come before God. It demonstrates what I'm trusting in. Third one. It shows if God can trust me. Now this is the flip-flop. And this is the whole point that Jesus is making in this story. How trustworthy are you with what I give you? The Pharisees tithed. They did everything right according to the book. They followed the law of Moses to the nth degree. They gave God the first fruits. And yet Jesus looked at them and and what did he call them? Vipers, snakes. He had not a good word to say for them. You see, you can do all the right things for the wrong reason and it counts for nothing. Can God trust you with what he gives you? So maybe you take off that first 10%. You do your tithe and you, okay, God, I checked my box. Read my Bible this morning. Checked my box. I did my prayer time. Checked my box. I did my little bit of service. Checked my box. I helped a little old lady in Walmart carry her bags out. Checked my box. There, I did everything I'm supposed to do. God's looking at you and he's saying, no. Where's your heart? You see, what, what, what really shows if God can trust us is, is not the stuff that we know what, that we're supposed to do. It's what we do with all the other stuff. You tithe your 10%. What do you do with the 90? You give some of your time. What do you do with the rest of your time? You give some of your talents. What do you do with the rest of your talents? Is your heart inclined to God? Can he trust you? Man, if I give you this ability to do this, 
Are you going to do it to honor me or are you going to do it to serve yourself? Luke 16, 10 to 12, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you've got your notes there, did I put that in the notes? I did. Circle the word words true riches. For me, that's what leaps out of this page of everything. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are true riches? What's, what's, he, what's he talking about? You see, God knows the heart. He knows what will fill your heart. He knows what will bring you joy. He knows what will bring you contentment. He knows what will bring you happiness. He knows what will bring you peace. And he wants to give you those things. Those are true riches. But if your heart is not inclined toward God, if you're looking for your money to bring you those things, God is saying, you're denying yourself true riches because you're trying to take care of it yourself. And I want you to trust me and I'll take care of it. It, it, I think with money, what God does, he gives us a little bit. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you some of what you might think will fill your heart. And then we'll see what you do with what I give you. And if you honor me with it, if you do it right, I will fill your heart. And that stuff won't matter to you. True riches. All right, moving along here. Number three on our what to remember every day. Third thing, money is a tool. Money is a tool to be used for God's purpose. He's the owner, we're the managers. It's like, all we need to do is say, what do you want me to do with my money, God? All of it, not the 10%. What do you want me to do with my money, God? You ever heard the saying, money is the root of all evil? A lot of people think that's in the Bible, but it's not. So you're looking right at the scripture I've got there, right? <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money has no morality. It's not good. It's not bad. But it can be used to build a church. It can be used to fund a drug habit. It can be a tool for Satan. It can be a tool for God. It just depends how we use it. I'm going to keep moving here. Number four, the best use is to use it to get people to heaven. Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, this is one of those verses in this scripture that people say, what is that all about? It's a very interesting passage of scripture. Jesus is such a great teacher. So what does this verse mean? Well, here's what Jesus is teaching. 
Just like the dishonest guy, he made friends that he could count on later because he knew he was going to have no money, no work. I I need something to see me through. So I'm going to make influential friends. I'm going to make friends with money and in high places. Jesus says, you need to use some of your money to make spiritual friends, to make eternal friends, friends that you're going to have forever in heaven who will welcome you when you get to heaven. Do you remember Michael W. Smith had a song called Friends? Friends of friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. Because you have an eternity together. Now here's the deal. It's not wrong to buy a top-of-the-line putter to improve your golf game. Not necessarily. Because you can use your golf game to build relationships with people in order to to earn the right to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ because your radar is always up. Where is God at work? I golf with these guys three times a week, three times a month, whatever you golf. I'm not a golfer. God, I love golf. And God's up there saying, yeah, I know. I gave you a passion for golf because I wanted you to reach this guy, this guy, and this guy. Your desire for golf comes from me because I want you to use it to reach into these people's lives. God, I love to fish. I know you love to fish. I gave you that desire to fish because I want you down there on the dock fishing, talking to Bill, who's going to be down on the dock fishing too, because I want Bill in my kingdom. And I'm sending you there to tell him about Jesus. Is it wrong to have season tickets to watch the Cowboys? Do they have such things as season tickets here? Yep. Is it wrong? It's badly misinformed. (laughs) But it's not wrong, right? Because you don't know who God's going to put in the seat beside you. Maybe you're there for his purpose. Now, in all of these things, you've got to look at the motive of your heart. Because I've talked to so many people that tell me I golf for Jesus. No, they don't. They golf because they like golfing. And they add Jesus in on the way to justify it. But if your heart is inclined to Jesus, I golf and I love Jesus. I go to work, I love Jesus. I love Jesus first. When I golf, I love Jesus. When I fish, I love Jesus. When I do whatever, I love Jesus. It's going to come out of me. I'm going to talk about it because I love Jesus. And the one that's most important, is it wrong to go on a cruise or take a nice vacation? Absolutely not, because we need to recharge. You need to have a break. God told us to do those things. You see, I, I know when I'm rested and relaxed and more content, I serve God better. So I'm trying to keep this balance, you know, because people get into this mindset that if I need to be obedient to God, I just need to be miserable. Give God the first fruits of my time, my energy, my money, everything else. I just get God first. I love Jesus. You should come and join us. <laughs> That's not how it works. God wants you to enjoy his, your relationship with him. But money is one of those fundamental things that measures where our heart is at. He said, go on a cruise. Have a cruise. Enjoy yourself. Relax. But put me first. Fifth thing to remember. One day I'll give an account to God. Luke 16.2 says, Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Ouch. Didn't go well for this guy. 
Romans 14.12 says, yes, each of us will give a, pers- a personal account to God. Did you know that the Bible teaches that there are rewards in heaven? It's called the Bema Seat, the Bema Judgment. And you, you can find that all through Scripture. There are rewards in heaven. Let me tell you something. Anything that you forsake or give up in this life because you want to serve God cannot match what he has for you in the next life. You see, we look at the world. We look at the world's thinking, oh, I need a big house. I need a big car. I need a boat. I need this. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. I want. And then I'll be happy. God says, you serve me. You, li- you put me first. Forsake those other things if need be. I have a greater reward for you in heaven. And that, that scripture from Romans there, what was it? Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. That's not about whether you get saved or not. You see, you're not saved because of how you use your finances. You're not saved by how you use your time or your talents. You're saved because Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and you put your trust in him. That's the only thing that saves you. But you are rewarded for how you use your time, how you use your talents, how you use your treasures, how you use your relationships. It all counts. It matters. Are you using your money in such a way that God says, I want to give you more? Are you using your time in such a way? Are you using your influence in such a way? Are you using your talents in such a way? These principles, they can be applied to every area of our lives. Now, here's the whole point of this. Let me close it up with this. And you've heard me say this so many times. God doesn't need your money. It's not your money. It's his money. He's not up there worried about whether you tithe, because if you don't tithe, they're not going to pay the power bill in heaven. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talents. I share this all the time. God can speak through a chair if he wants to. He used a donkey. I mean, literally, we could put a chair here and God could preach through it if he wanted to. It's not about what God needs. It's about what he wants. And he wants you fully and completely every part of you. He wants to bless you because he loves you, but he doesn't want to spoil you. He wants you to know that you can trust him in every area of your life. And one of the best indicators of that is our money, how we see it, how we use it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to go back to that timeline of mine. Next slide, please. So I stopped here. So, you know, it's kind of up and down, up and down and up and down. Here's what I've discovered. When we together, and I love the way the Holy Spirit does this, because we're sitting beside each other in this sermon, listening to the pastor, and he had a little sheet. I want to honor God with my time, with my talents, with my treasures. Where do you want to honor God? You know, what do you need to change? And we're both thinking money. But we weren't very well off at the time. In fact, we were quite a bit in debt. Sandra always does the money. And I didn't feel like I could say to Sandra, hey, we need to start tithing. Find the 10%. I didn't feel I could say that. 
At the same time, she's sitting there and the Holy Spirit's working in her and it's thinking, we need to put God first. It's not about finding 10%. It's about putting that first and then finding the rest. And we both spoke to each other and we said, we need to do this. We need to get God right in our lives. That is when our spiritual lives took off. You see, when you honor God with your money, everything else follows along the way. When you put him first in your finances, you'll put him first in your time, you'll put him first in your treasure, you'll put him first in your relationship. My experience has just been all of those other things start to follow along the way. And you see where I got 98 question mark and purpose? I remember having breakfast with my pastor, Scott. We used to meet for breakfast on a regular basis. And and I can remember the conversation telling him I was working in Calgary. We lived outside of Calgary in Airdrie. And I was doing pretty good in my job, enjoying my job to a certain degree. And I remember telling him, you know, Scott, I do okay at my job, but here's what God has done. You know, I feel like I only do that to earn money so that I can do what God really wants me to do. And we were involved in small group ministries and we were seeing people get saved and new groups growing. And um, we were just enjoying what God was doing in us and through us. And I remember just thinking that My, my job is secondary. It's just a way of financing what God is doing. And it was at that breakfast that Scott said, you know, I've really been praying about something and I've been wondering what I should tell you. But I think God wants you to go into ministry. And I had never thought about it before. And it's like, wow, I never thought about it. But because we were obedient here, God started to align everything else in our lives. And all of a sudden, money wasn't that big of a deal. How we spent our time. Number one thing we wanted to do, spend time with our small groups, spend time with people who needed to know about Jesus. I mean, I loved it. That's what I wanted to do. And God said, I'll honor that. But it started with that decision to honor him with our finances. And everything followed from there on. I don't know where you're at with this stuff this morning. And like I said, it's so big, isn't it, in our lives. I love the eagle. I think we're the only country in the world that put right on the money in God we trust. Somebody a long time ago decided when they were printing money, We need to put that on the money. I don't know how much we honor that in the USA anymore, (laughs) but I love that it's on there. I don't know where you're at in this this transform process, and I talk about this sometimes, but I want to encourage you. Take God at his word. If he's working in your heart and he's saying, you know what, you need to step it up in this area of your life. Put it first. Honor me first. 
and see what happens in all those other areas of your life. It will transform you. That's what it's all about, right? Transformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you that you're not done with any one of us. We're all a work in progress, Father. And sometimes we're making progress, sometimes not so much. We see ups and downs in our lives. But Father, I know from personal experience that this one area, this money, the reason that Jesus spoke about it so often is because it's a kingpin in our lives. Father, if there, there are those here this morning or online or maybe watch later who struggle in this area of obedience. Father, I'm praying that you would just reach into their lives and do what you did for Sandra and for me. Father, that you would change our thinking about how we view money and how we spend money, that we would begin to see that you are the owner of all of it and that you truly want to bless us with real riches, true riches, Father. And that if we would let go of our treasures, we could hold on to your treasures. Give us the courage to step out in faith and change how we think about money, how we use money, how we spend money. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what announcements do we have? Same as last week, July 5th to 9th, youth camp deposit was due last week. So if you haven't made your deposit, you better get it in right now, otherwise we're giving your kids back to you. May 23rd today, youth hangout. That's why I'm dressed down. I'm going over there in a minute. June 6th, 101, Discovering Church Membership. We had a number of people sign up to be part of our membership class. If you've not, if you've been coming to Lakeway and you've been kind of thinking, I like this church, this could be my church. Sign up for 101, fill out a card and drop it in the offering over there and we'll make a place for you at 101. We do it immediately following the service. Lunch is provided. So sign up for that. July 4th, last week I said that we were going to have a party on the lawn Watch the fireworks because I saw the sign that said Liberty by the Lake. But not this lake. (laughs) I'm not sure what lake. It's going to be over by the high school. So we won't be doing a party on the 4th here. Now, I would suggest that you go over on July 4th and have a party over by the high school. What do they call that area? Five Star. That's where it's going to be. That's right, isn't it? Five Star? So that's happening on Five Star. And then July 19 to 23, we have Vacation Bible School. Libby is out there waiting for people to earnestly and eagerly sign up to help with Vacation Bible School. I say this every week, folks. God has entrusted us with kids, with children. There's a whole bunch of them back there. And we can take a week a year to just really every day help them come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every year we have kids that get saved. And many of you can remember your time your, when you made your commitment to Christ. It was at Vacation Bible School. So I'm going to ask everyone to be a part of this. So go see Libby and she'll plug you in where you can serve. Okay, we're not going to make you serve anywhere where it's, oh, I can't do that because we don't want people scared. We want you to serve out of the joy. But go see Libby and get signed up for Vacation Bible School. What else? Offering. Give your offering there. Online. Mail it in. And keep 
on praying. Oh, and stay connected. Every week, not every week, most weeks I do a midweek motivation. This week I got one for you. We're coming into the end of Transformed. This week's midweek motivation is important. Go on Facebook and you'll see it there on Lakeways Facebook. So stay connected. That's all I got for you. How we didn't bring a watch. What time is it? 12.05. Pretty close. Please stand. Kayla went long. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, what I love about you is it doesn't matter where we're at, you love us anyway. And your desire is to move us into a deeper and closer relationship with you. Thank you for loving us in that way. Thank you for loving us that much. Father, as I always pray, I want to pray that you would just pour out your blessings upon us. Not that we would be selfish with those blessings, but that we would go from here And share them with everybody that you bring into our paths. Father, protect us. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. Keep us well. Keep our eyes fixed upon you, I pray. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week.